Hello, hello, leader. Welcome to another episode of The Learning Curve, where we talk about the transition from solopreneurship to enterprise leadership and how to handle all the people that come with that kind of change. In this episode, we're going to look at happiness. <laughs> happiness in the workplace or as I call it, happiness and other lies, or how to fail at culture. (laughs) Stay tuned. Okay, so at my last corporate job, we invested heavily in quote-unquote happiness campaigns heavily. Lots of leadership training, big road shows, huge splashy town halls, lots of money and contracts. And the intention was wonderful. What is not wonderful about striving for a happy workplace? Uh, The you know, it wasn't totally touchy-feely. There was science behind it. It really emphasized the value of playing to your strengths. It also, for the leaders, uh, the leadership training and those communications, it focused on the company benefits of having rested, balanced, happy employees. There was an emphasis on self-care and how that kind of white space or time to reflect really serves your output and makes you better at what you do. So what could be wrong with that? Well, nothing in theory. There's nothing wrong with that in theory. In fact, it's, I think, admirable for any company to pursue this kind of campaign or to implement it more specifically to implement it. Pursuing it is, well, just the first step. The problem in that case, the reason that it didn't work is that there was zero alignment behind the campaigns and the business policies, the infrastructure, the um processes, the systems, and budget priorities. These are vitally important components of supporting any culture. And if they are not aligned, then the culture will not take root. So frontline is where culture manifests, but grassroots culture setting does not work. If it's not driven from the top, meaning it's not supported by policies and leadership C-suite decisions, if they don't align behind it, then it will fail. And in the case of my experience with the happiness campaigns, it became a colossal waste of money and resources. Eh, So much time. Oh, my goodness. 
I mean, I, I should, uh, you know, give some credit to the good that I'm sure it did do. Um, you know, people, people did come away from some of the, the trainings and workshops feeling enlightened and encouraged. Uh, but the problem was, is they went back into a reality that did not support these new ideas and concepts that they just learned about how the, the psychology and the physiology of happiness. So in the last episode, we looked at the gap between, or the the last, maybe not the last episode, um, the last Tuesday episode, <laughs> we looked at the gap between culture descriptions and reality. Um, this is about another gap between your aspirations, but this time it's the gap between your aspirations and your operations. And it is the biggest reason that companies fail to create the signature culture that they want. It's the biggest reason. So we talked about buzzwords before. Again, those can work against you if they don't align with reality, but they aren't the biggest reasons that uh, culture campaigns fail. The biggest reasons they fail is because people don't put their money where their mouth is and their decisions. So again, it might be true that culture manifests on the front line but culture will not take hold if it is coming from the front line up. So, you know, and that was uh, very much part of the problem in this example that I'm using from my past. I wouldn't say that it was coming from the front line. In fact, I was in the department. I was part of the, the team that was behind this campaign, this exercise, <laughs> very long, drawn-out exercise in futility. Um, we weren't considered the front line. We were part of the front line support uh, layer. And we did not get the vital backing that we needed from a skip level up beyond so we, we we got the backing we needed for immediate funding but for something like culture a happiness culture this is not like a team offsite right uh th this was something that we were looking to do across many departments this was an enterprise reaching effort and getting the okay from our immediate upline was not enough, not in a, a corporation of thousands and thousands of employees. So with a more manageable workforce, if you have eyes on all of the departments and can see, this is it's much easier for you to see where you might lack alignment. Just make sure that your decisions in all of your key functional groups are aligning 
with the culture campaigns that you implement. So review your processes and your, you know, your budget priorities again. Review the systems and hierarchies in light of the culture that you want. So you've already got this stuff in place. That's great. Once you decide your vision for the kind of company you want to be, go back and take a look at your infrastructure and just look for any any area that might be in conflict with that kind of company. Because um, it's, you know, very likely that you implemented a lot of your structure and processes before you just started to shape your culture. That's uh, probably the way most people expand and grow and get to the point of establishing a culture. So, um, again, so let's let's use last time I talked about companies that focus on an innovative culture. That's a, a you know definitely not an uncommon one. So if this is something that you were looking to to really focus on as part of your your business identity, then you would look at things like um, your incentive structure. So um, if you say, I we want to have an innovative culture, a culture of innovation, yet you have no incentives for contributing ideas or all the changes and ideas come from the top down, that should be a flag. Or if you've got no framework or training on what it looks like to be innovative, I mean, saying innovation does not create innovation. It is just a, you know, I mean, having a, a an ideas box in a break room with no parameters is going to get you not a bunch of great ideas. <laughs> There's some some great, uh, at least one great office episode where this definitely plays out. Anyway, I will not get distracted with office episode anecdotes as much as I'd love to. Um, you know, innovative culture, maybe you've got a recognition program that only highlights successes. And if you want people to take risk, you've got to reinforce risk-taking, not just when it gets positive outcomes. A lot of companies want to create a collaborative culture, cross-pollination, working together for synergies, yet they have performance review processes that force individual ranking across departments in a line, meaning you're ultimately encouraging an every-man-for-himself attitude and approach. So. You might say, we value uh, collaboration, yet you measure people in a way that it completely contradicts that. So those are just a couple of examples. Uh, yeah, I, I think, again, you, you don't just lose out in that you don't get the culture that you want when you do this incorrectly. It's not just, oh, well, we're not really that great at being collaborative. 
I firmly believe that it takes you into the negative. So it's not just net zero. So, you know, the company that I've been using as an example with the happiness campaign, they, they failed miserably. We failed miserably. And we probably did more damage than good. So, um, you know, it's tempting to say, well, at least it didn't do much harm. In fact, I just did that. I, I just tried to rationalize because, you know, people did come away from sessions and trainings and workshops with a real uh, dopamine high and optimistic. I'm saying that over time, there is something incredibly demoralizing when you feel like you've just learned how to do and be and, and work this way that it feels inspiring and you're and you are drinking the Kool-Aid and then in just pretty much no time at all you realize that it's just not going to fly and it just feels like a load of garbage really you feel duped so in that case you know this this so much of this happiness campaign was about the importance of um, avoiding workaholism. There was a huge emphasis on that and the the degrading aspects of workaholism. And you attend these workshops and you buy into these concepts and theories and you walk down a hallway or get in an elevator and there are posters about you know, posters and flyers about work-life balance and self-care, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize that that nothing about the job itself, nothing about the structure of the teams, of the expectations, of the processes supports that. You still have to work like a dog, and that's what everyone expects, and that is just how it is. So you can't help but wonder what you just did spending two days in an offsite workshop that just talked a bunch of hoo-ha, but didn't really, you know, there wasn't any there there when you got down to it. So just make sure that your, your policies and infrastructure align behind the culture that you want. And that is it for today's Tuesday tip on team culture. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love to hear your stories about team culture, about any failed attempts, and any successes. Shoot me a line at laura at curvinsights.com. C-U-R-V-I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S. L-A-U-R-A at CarbonSites.com. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The Learning Curve.